This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally, Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Hello, business storytellers. It's Christoph Trapp, your host and author of Content Performance Culture. Thanks for listening to another episode. Today, let's talk about how much knowledge should you actually share in your content marketing strategy, in your business storytelling, in your corporate communications. So I asked uh, a longtime friend and content marketing expert based in my hometown of Dusseldorf, Germany, Mel Rod. How are you doing? Hi, Chris. Uh, thanks very much for inviting me. I'm doing well. Hope everybody's doing well over in the U.S. and uh, very happy to be here. I hope, uh, you know, people will understand me with uh, my accent. <laughs> it's I can understand every word. You're doing just fine. Um, so the conversation, I mean, we've been connected, I don't know, for how many years, five years, probably something like that. Yeah, probably. And, yeah. and you're an expert out there in, in, in uh, Europe especially when it comes to content marketing. And you were talking about uh, what, how much detail should people share when they're trying to establish themselves as a thought leader? Kind of tell me that story. What happened? What, what prompted you to think about that? Um, well, yeah, some, basically over the years, I've heard it over and over again. Um, you know, I used to work in agencies um, for clients in the industrial sector, for example, but also insurances. And we had different types of projects. Um, so I had like one um, occasion where this thought popped up into my head, um, you know, again, but um, actually I've heard it over and over over the years. And um, I think I tweeted it, you know, sometimes I tweet things uh, <laughs> rather spontaneously. And um, I was I was thinking about it because if you say, you know, we don't know or we need to figure out how much um, knowledge we're giving away in a piece of content, um, either before um, the gate or after the gate or, or should we put it out um, at all. So the thought that basically popped into my head was, you know, if everybody thinks that um, you, your competitors, you're actually racing or it's a race to the bottom and not the top. So you're actually going to make your content worse just because you don't want to give away too much. And you actually miss a lot of opportunities because, um, you know, I think you will rise to the top if your content is best um, and leaving stuff out just because you want to generate a lead was a thought that I found, um, you know, particularly interesting in that, in that moment. So that was the story behind that thought. So giving away knowledge is interesting, right? Because, of course, one way to establish yourself as a thought leader and be top of mind is you show off what you know, right? Mm -hmm. You share um, your knowledge, and that's how you convert people. But on the flip side, I can also see, I mean, we, we were, um, as we were getting ready for the show, you know, we were talking about um, Anchor, which is, of course, what I use to record my podcast. I've blogged about it. I've you know, I've got entire articles on how to use Anchor, um, mm -hmm. and I'm I'm literally giving my my content away, right? So anybody who wants to do it, they could just do it, um, and they probably won't hire me to help them start their podcast. 
Um, mm-hmm. So how do you marry those two? How do you, uh, how do you think about that? That, you know, if I'm telling you how to do it, um, you'll never hire me for, well, at least not for that specific thing. Yeah. So I tend to think about it in terms of, um, you know, what's the business model? Because some of my clients, I've had that conversation with uh, a lot of people over the past few years. Um, and I think it's um, obviously if you're a consultant, you know, as you're saying, if if I teach people how to do it, I do a how to blog post or I tell people how to do it in a tutorial video or whatever. Obviously, nobody's going to pay me, um, you know, to show me. But um, actually, I think people are going to find a tutorial anyways for, um, you know, if they're trying to figure out how to do something, um, they're going to find out one way or another how to do a certain a certain thing. So either you're the source of the knowledge that people are going to connect with a particular topic. And if you do that, um, you know, consistently and you're smart enough after the you know, we all know the statistics. People um, need between six and eight or 10 touch points with a company until um, they reach out to a sales rep. There are different statistics on that. And it's all about orchestrating those touch points. If I manage to publish content on um, topics that people care about and they keep coming to me because, you know, my content is good and they see, oh, I can do X, Y, and Z this way. And I've always gotten that information from this company, this guy, at some point, if I have a more complex project where I need a fresh perspective, I need someone who has experience in that field, I am going to turn to the person or the company, which is top of mind. And I think that's the most overlooked communication goal or the less documented probably communication goal in content marketing that's out there because we keep measuring leads and and traffic and the click-through rates etc etc and it's super hard to um, measure whether or not i'm top of mind it's doable but it's hard and you do it over the long term but this is where the benefits are so basically just to um um, sum up the thought I think you know as soon as you go into how do I do XYZ um, I need to click here and there I think people are going to find that information anyways you know with your example on Anchor if they don't find it on on your blog they're going to find it elsewhere so why not be the guy um, they turn to absolutely and so what's interesting about that is what is the business model right and of course I grew up in journalism um, and then journalists thought, oh, we need to make money um, for people consuming our content, right? But if you think about it, I mean, I, like this year alone, I've almost published 100,000 words, right, on my blog. Um, mm-hmm. There's like a, a podcast every few days. And at the end of the day, hardly anybody pays me to consume my content. Some people pay me to produce content for them or in partnership with them, but really nobody pays me to, to, to consume my content. Um, but it helps me be top of mind, right? It helps me when people, let's stick with the podcast example. Um, so you can read the article and it tells you everything you really need to know, in my opinion. But that doesn't mean you can do a good podcast, right? Because um, let's say you don't have anything to talk about. Let's say you don't ask good questions. Let's say you're not, let's be honest, right, Mel? You have to be somewhat verbose on podcasts because if you're just talking for 30 seconds and you're done, um, that's, I mean, who wants to listen to that, right? So then my next question is, how do you get people over the hump to actually share 
more in-depth content? Like, how, what do you tell people? What's the strategy that helps? Um, so I think that's, um, and I think we both know, and I think a lot of people who um, listen to your podcast know, it's actually super hard. And I think um, it's something which, um, you know, I've been struggling with uh, myself probably for a few years as well. It's because most of the time internally within companies, you get measured. And the way you get measured is um, usually for marketers, right? The number of leads you generate, the number, especially in B2B. Um, so I mostly have that B2B background. So I'm going to talk mostly about the B2B perspective. You get measured by the amount of leads in uh, specific verticals. You generate the amount of opportunities that come from it. You know, you generate pipeline, et cetera, et cetera. And because that's the way you get measured, you ask those questions. How much content can I give away? Um, giveaway without um, you know without missing my target so I think a lot of the conversations around basically making marketing better what I deeply believe in as a philosophy and communication you know I like that term of communication as a service so I want to communicate more um, value and make a difference in the life of the person that's going to consume it, it's, it needs to basically give me that freedom and, and give me that trust on the organizational level. So at some point, I need to have a conversation with, you know, not changing my metric, maybe as a marketing manager, but getting that buy-in that I'm going to try something which might take one year or two years, but it might reap big benefits. So on the one hand, you got to be quite courageous, I would say, on the, you know, on the content marketing program or initiative side. And on the other hand, I don't think you can actually really do it if, if there's no trust in, in that form of, of marketing. Um, I think you, you know as well, right? Um, at some point people get measured, especially if you're in a, in a startup, you get measured by the quarter or by the month. And if you don't have that amount of leads by the month, content marketing is not worth it. And unfortunately, um, that's the way a lot of managers think. And it's, you know, it makes content marketing less good. And it certainly takes time. And the other thing I was just, um, I recorded an episode of the uh, cashing in on content marketing podcast with Amanda Milligan. And, and, you know, they talk about that topic mm -hmm. at length, nonstop, you know, how do you get by and how do you move forward? And I mentioned on there is it's truly a marathon, right? You can't just run a campaign um, for a week and say, Oh, you know, we published 12 tweets. Are we millionaires yet? No. <laughs> Um, but it's an ongoing um, exercise, right? An ongoing thing. Let's talk about, so I'm, I'm totally on board and I do have even examples um, on, on content where I went deeper than the competition. So for example, um, when Instagram Live came mm -hmm. out, right? Uh, everybody said you can now do Instagram Live, but nobody talked about how you do it. So I went in and I wrote about how you do it. And it was like, I think the best performing article ever hundreds of thousands of views, but everybody was searching mm -hmm. for it and nobody else was talking about it. Then the other one that hasn't taken off yet, but Google Podcast Manager recently came out with um, a new interface on how to measure the performance of your podcast. Everybody's talking about that that has rolled out. Nobody talked about how to actually set mm -hmm. it up. I did, right? So my, my idea is, well, hopefully I will rank for that. Hopefully the people who already read it, they see 
my uh, my expertise, even if they don't hire me, even if they don't want me to speak at a conference, don't buy my mm -hmm. book. But it's another touch point. But then my question here is this content, the knowledge, it gets outdated in no time. Oh, yeah. Right. Something changes, something gets updated. So how do you I mean, even if you go deep, um, at some point it gets outdated. How do you how do you kind of marry that with uh, people continuing to look for information? Um, so two thoughts here, actually. Um, I was thinking while you were uh, uh, giving away the context for your question, I was thinking about um, <laughs> an aspect that I like about what you said um, that you're looking for what's out there on a on a on a specific topic. Um, but you try to go a step further. And I don't think, um, you know, a lot of companies do that because most of the time or most of the, most of the content that I see out there um, really relates to a topic, but it often misses the mark in the sense that it tries to be useful. So my latest LinkedIn article, that was really a thought I put together in, in a, uh, probably 10, 15 minutes was we need to go a step further, um, not talking just about relevance of content. We don't, um, we should not only be relevant in what we put out there, but we should be useful. So I really liked what you said that you um, try to publish something where nobody is talking about um, specific aspects of a topic and, and you go one step further. So I really like that. Um, but, you know, your question was what again? <laughs> <laughs> so I'll circle back to the relevance and usefulness point in a minute. So the question was, so even, so I actually wrote about this before over on ctrap.online um, that most, so I was a little in a snarky mood, I guess, but I said most social media conference talks are a total waste of time. And here's the reason why. It's not because the speakers is bad, are bad. It's not because the content is bad. But so let's say there's, a con there's no conferences currently, mm -hmm. right? But let's say there's a conference next year. I'm pitching to speak in March. I sent them my topic in August. They approve it by October. Then I give the talk in March. That is like a lifetime in social media world, right? I mean, like yeah, things yeah. change so quickly. So what, I, what I'm talking about a year from now even if you can do it and even if it's useful or relevant, it might be out. Right, right, right. So what, you know, so what tips, I mean, if any, do you have when people they're diving deep and then the second they're diving deep, you know, the content takes off, but then it's outdated in yeah, no yeah. time. Now I remember your, uh, your question. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was, um, I'm actually regularly thinking about that um, because, and I think that's um, something everybody notices from time to time. Um, you know, if you try to do something, you Google it, and then you sift through, you know, 10, 20 results maybe on that page, and you try to look at the date because you're looking for, you know, for example, how do I start a podcast? And I see an article from 2015. So, and it's for some reason, because it's older and, and Google likes uh, results that are older, um, I'm going to have that result that's very top and it's not, you know, it's outdated, as you say. So I think it's really interesting how Google even, um, you know, handles or in that case, doesn't handle it. Um, I regularly have it that, you know, I Google stuff and I, I keep sifting through the results that are obviously outdated. Um, so that's really interesting. But yeah, you were mentioning the blog. Um, 
first, but now you're mentioning or you were mentioning uh, um, the use case of uh, a conference or a talk that you would give a, at a conference. I think, yeah, that's an, an interesting aspect. And I think where most um, people like I used to be and like you are in the sense that you are, um, you know, consulting people or coaching people in, in how to do stuff. Um, a lot of the value adds, I think, lies um, in the perspective that you can give to people relating to a particular situation. The, I, I don't think the, the biggest value that you can give people lies in how to do X, Y, Z. And I've been, you know, following your stuff for a while, but more on the side of, um, you know, what mindset should I adopt to do X, Y, Z and the perspective you can give on uh, people on, on specific topics. And I think that consultants often miss on the mark that or miss this mark when they publish content that you know the value is not in how to do stuff but how to think about stuff because if you tell me how i should or can think about stuff it's going to change my perspective and i'm going to know down the road how to think about something that i'm trying to achieve um something that mark schaefer by the way i think does very very well i love to read his blog um because he just gives a, a new perspective on, on things. And just, you know, I don't necessarily agree with everything um, he writes or people write in general, but I accept the fresh perspective and it makes me a better marketer because I'm willing to accept new perspectives and, and ways to think about things. The, the other thing that's interesting about that comment as well, you know, how to think about things. Stuff changes so quickly, right? So I'll give you an example. I just, you know, my, my first book, came out in 2015 i read it again the other day and i thought Ugh, what a test <laughs> i didn't even like it anymore and i'm like that's very or like sometimes i thought that's very idealistic mm. <laughs> that well, would be I know nice that feeling, yeah. if that happens you know but probably won't yeah. happen um and then my second book published a couple of years later and then my third one came out earlier this year the content performance culture one um and the, the way I publish those has changed so much, right? I mean, the first one, more of a, I don't want to say traditional publishing model, but a little bit. And then the third one, I literally wrote in a Google Drive mm -hmm. document. And then I exported the Google Drive and I did my own cover using Adobe Spark. And then I created an Alexa skill. I'm not even sure I knew five years ago what Alexa <laughs> was. Maybe I did. Um, but I created that. I created a podcast, which people can still listen to, Content Performance Culture Podcast. Um, and you can listen to the chapters for free. It's just, you know, you have to listen to them. You don't uh, mm -hmm. have a podcast. Um, but my point is, so it's not so much about how you do those things specifically, but how do you think about what to do, where to do it, why to do it, how to do it quickly, right? Uh, so it's a little bit deeper than just, you know, this is kind of the process mm -hmm. on how to... On how to start a podcast, like you can, you know, the, the steps sometimes are easy, but the strategic thinking seems to be what's hard. Exactly. Yeah, I think I think, as I said, you know, the, the perspective on things and, and uh, um, the way to think about things and to approach things is much more um, valuable to someone, especially given that, you know, 
we all have a specific context. If I'm a, working at a company, I'm going to have a different um, situation with my um, manager that I'm trying to get buy-in from. The company is going to have a different organizational structure than the you know how-to that I read in a book, and that's really where the where the value comes from. Um, that you know when people come in, they can they can give me ideas and give their perspective on on things. So I I really think that. Um, you know, consultants shouldn't be in the game of telling people how to do stuff, but trying to inspire um, action and giving new new perspectives. Yeah. And as we're talking about having content that goes deep, what are your? Uh, so we had a man, actually again Amanda Milligan on a, a little while ago, and she talked about the three content assets she sees performing, and I think they were um, infographics. Um, or, or maybe inter interactive infographics, long form content, and something else. I want to say it was visualization. And I don't quiz me on what the difference is between visualization and interactive <laughs> um, infographic. But the two out of the three, I remember without looking it up. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of longer form content. We talked about the anchor article. It's nine, nine minutes, nine mm -hmm. minute read, right? That's long form content. It's like 1800 words yeah. or something. I'm also a fan of podcasts. I'm also a fan of um, live streams. Um, what content assets do you currently recommend for people? What should they focus on to share their yeah. knowledge? Um, funny thing about that, you know, I you know I, I know I'm a guest in a podcast, so I shouldn't be saying this, but I used to say I hate podcasts um, because I not because I don't like to speak on a podcast or anything. I've done that in the past. But I've, you know, I always said to uh, people who would recommend podcasts to me when when we were talking about, you know, what do you do when you uh, when you drive to work or when you're in the, on on the train or whatever. So people would recommend podcasts to me, and I would go like, yeah, you know, I know podcasts is a cool thing, but uh, yeah, it's not my format. And then Spotify went, uh, you know, into that podcast game, and I tried a few, and I actually started liking it. Um, and I was trying to analyze why, you know, because I like to to watch things. So I like webinars, I like videos um, that I can have on, you know, either during something I'm trying to achieve, um, but I have it on a second screen, or you know, just watching it. Um, um, just with my full attention on it. But then I think as people have more and more stuff to do and we get better, I guess we get better at multitasking. Um, well, better, I don't know, but we, we all have to multitask more. So <laughs> we try to, especially when we're in, you know, in home office and now we have to work from home. So we have more you know, we don't have, we, we're not in these uh, offices, so we can actually listen to things and, and uh, you know, try to entertain ourselves. So some people do it while, you know, they have their TV on and they work um, during, you know, that time. Um, but podcasting is an interesting format because you can listen to things. You can listen to it as you would listen to a radio when you're in the car, but you can still get things done. Some things better than others. You can't really write while listening to podcasts. I guess that's difficult. I've tried it and it's not really doable, but if I have something to do um, that doesn't involve me writing or speaking or anything, I can listen to something and do my stuff um, on the side. So I think podcasting is interesting. 
um, because it allows you to multitask better. What has been working for us, for example, as well as webinars, because um, I, I think you can log into a webinar, especially if you have two screens and, you know, with people working from home now, a lot of us, I would tend to say, have two screens. As soon as you... Uh, find a format that allows people to kind of listen to it and then focus their attention on it if if it gets interesting. I think that would uh, that that works quite well, or at least that's what we've been seeing um, with what we're doing in in Germany right now um, for the company I work at right now. So podcasting webinars is working quite well. Obviously, um, you know. PDF files, or if you go into something like eBooks and case studies, you know, the obvious stuff in B2B. Um, we've had less experience with um, stuff like infographics, but I tend to agree with you on visuals. I think, you know, it's great to have long form content um, in the written form, but I think, and that's a personal opinion, I think people tend to read less and less. They, they're going to scan through your text um, they're not going to be in deep reading mode um, when watching a, a screen so i think that um, that it's good for rankings it's good for for traffic but try to incorporate something that's visual um, and and you know with sub headlines and everything you know about as well i think that allows people to digest it more easily so that was a very long answer but i, I don't know if you agree with me <laughs> but that was some of my experience yeah. I, you I, I do. And, you know, it's interesting, too, about the, the long text. And I, I do maintain. So people say, well, people have a short attention span. And that's that's true. Um, so why do we need long text? And the, the reason you need long text is not so people can read it, but so people can mm -hmm. scan it. And you can't scan a long mm -hmm. text. And as crazy as that sounds, but I wouldn't expect anybody to read my articles word for word, um, or very few people, you and I might mm -hmm. do that. But but I expect them to scan and look for the specific pieces that they want. So you're very um, much aware interestingly, of that as a writer. Yeah, okay. and, but I know, but that kind of blows to know as a writer, <laughs> <laughs> you know? But yeah, at the end of the day, I don't like, you know, so this article on, on, the, on how to start your podcast with Anchor, I expect people to look at the headline. I expect them to go, oh, a nine minute read. That must be in depth. And it is in-depth, mm -hmm. right? And then they can look for the sections that apply to them and they can skim to it. And I actually, I, I skimmed through it while we were talking. It actually takes a while to skim through mm -hmm. it because it's nine minutes of reading and then there's a lot of images, right? So it's actually a lot of real estate, um, but you're correct. As a writer, it does kind of hurt your feelings when you come to the realization that you don't get read, you get skimmed. Um, so on the podcast, what's interesting, I do agree. So I did, I 100% agree. I also didn't love podcasts. And I didn't love them because I always thought Apple Podcasts, the app, used to be called mm -hmm. iTunes, was really hard to use. It was kind of clunky. And it's still clunky to this day, in my opinion. So then when Spotify came around, I use Spotify. And I, I love Spotify. I think it's much easier oh, yeah. to use. And now, I, and now I use Google Podcasts, which I think is even easier to use. Um, so uh, I'm with you. Now I have like 56 podcasts that I listen to um, somewhat routinely. But before that, I also didn't. The other reason from a content perspective why I love podcasts, and uh, you can't hold me to it, Mel, but I don't know if I'm going to do it with this one. I might, uh, but I'm, I'm recording a lot of shows right now. 
And a lot of times what I do, or I don't know what the percentage is, um, sometimes, maybe it's 50-50, I don't, I don't actually mm -hmm. know, I publish the podcast, so we'll publish the show, and then I might take something from the show and write an article mm -hmm. from it. Um, so whether that means I'm going to cover everything we talk about, or I take, like you said, one thing or another, or like I might quote you in an article about um, podcast apps, right? Your comment about how, the different mm -hmm. apps. Um, so I repurpose the content. So I don't just, you know, one and done. That's, so that's another reason why I love podcasts. The other thing is on podcasts, we sound the way we are, right? In writing, you can hide your true authenticity. On a podcast, it's really hard for us to hide um, how mm -hmm. we sound, right? If we sound like jerks, we will sound like jerks. Yes. Nobody can edit it. If we sound great, which we are, of course, um, you know, people can hear and that People too. can hear that I sound not American or German. <laughs> no, but you're right. I right. mean, but, and, but people, and, you know, it's interesting what you're saying because I have a blog as well as you know, and I've been struggling to keep up with publishing something on a regular basis because at some point, you know, you get the feeling that especially in content marketing, a lot has been said, you know, you're not the, the fastest in publishing something. I, th I don't think bloggers are in the in the business of, of news or even tutorials or anything. So, as I said, I think people, um, you know, in that game are more in the in the game, so to speak, of, of offering perspectives or sharing thoughts. So I struggle with writing something that's really interesting and i have ideas but these ideas would take too much of my time um, to just put in writing and what i think is interesting about podcasting is that you can talk about a specific topic with someone as we do now and it's going to lead you down a road which will offer you a fresh perspective we're going to think about something so i like your your um, remark on, on saying that you'll take an aspect from what you take from a, a podcast episode, for example, maybe think about it a little bit and then publish something that you have been uh, thinking about or, you know, you know what to write about. I personally, I think it's much harder and I think it very much applies to, you know, what companies try to do when they try to publish content on a regular basis. Try not to think of, I need to publish something every Monday, for example, but try to think what you do as a journalist or as, um, can I say you're a journalist or a former journalist? I don't know how you consider yeah. yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think what fun. journalists do very well is they think about topics. They don't think about, you know, the weekly um, blog article, the monthly newsletter or something. They think about topics. And that's very, very um, valuable when you try to think of new perspectives and how to repurpose content, which is why I think you have tremendous outputs because you always have something to say. Um, where marketers try to be more, you know, they, they, they think more about a rhythm, something that's scalable, putting something out, getting people to view it, etc. They don't really think about topics, I think, you know, and it's neutral, it's not criticism, but I think I'm a marketer myself, so you know, um, <laughs> I can say that. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, that's basically what I think holds a lot of people back. And, you know, what's interesting about that too is uh, you, you're, I'm glad you noticed that. I do think about, I have something to say, I write it up. And as a journalist, you would just publish, right? And I do try to find some kind of cadence because here's the thing. So during coronavirus, I blogged, I had a podcast, I had a live stream daily because there was always something new to say. 
and people actually read it and people, I mean, like out of the gate, you know, a lot of content now takes a little bit to take off, especially the, the written content. Um, but during coronavirus, everything was read. Like everybody wanted to know, how do you do this? How do you do that? How do you um, avoid handshakes? Because early on, people were still trying to shake your mm. hand. But so now what I'm, what I'm doing is I am trying to find that balance because at the end of the day, I don't have to publish daily. So what I do is, and I do this with podcasts and blog posts, I publish every Monday and I schedule one month out. And once I'm a month out, then I start filling in the gaps in between. So if I have something really interesting to say today, I just, you know, I'll say mm -hmm. it today. Um, or if I think it's interesting. So what I'm trying to do is instead of me constantly being on the hamster wheel, for lack of a better term, I like, you know, I have a little bit of a cushion. And then once I have that cushion, I allow myself to um, get into what you call like the journalistic mm -hmm. model a little bit more. Um, but at the end of the day, as you said, it does take time to create content. And, you know, uh, what kind of recommendations do you have for people to, to cut down on that time on the approval process? What's, um, you know, any, any tips for people to get to a better uh, uh, place? Well, um, I think if you talk about it or if you think of it as, you know, in, a, in, in companies where, especially if, if the company is rather small, you're most of the time you're going to have, um, and I say this in general, I've seen this at a lot of companies, um, you're going to have two main issues. First, um, according to my experience, and, and please do tell me if you have different experience, mm -hmm. um, that you're going to have managers, for example, CMOs, VPs, or something or something, who want to approve every single piece of content. And then you're going to go into something that's very micro management and people are going to rephrase a few words in your blog posts or anything and that takes a, a, a tremendous amount of time that frustrates the person creating the content or um, you know the content uh, the, the content marketing team leader for example um, or even the the VP the CMO whatever who's going to be frustrated about you know oh, why do I need to approve every single text and they don't do it right etc instead of that I think you can do much better in terms of organization as a company when you approve um, you know things on, on 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 different levels where you try to work with briefings um, and you say you know what we want people to take away from a piece of content um, what should they learn what's the tone so try to be you know more specific about briefings and not approve everything into you know or go into every single detail and i think a lot of companies need to work on what i used to um uh, call or what people call you know content marketing operations where you try to put that oil into that machine basically and a, a big part of of um, having efficient content marketing operations is um is briefings is you know agreeing on on those levels where you don't have to run to person a or b to um you know get approval and something that relates to that what i've seen at a lot of companies is that a lot of people um in marketing i guess as with graphic design for example a lot of people think they can comment um on everything, even if it's not their craft. My favorite example being, you know, I don't go to the lawyer of the company to ask if my infographic is beautiful because he doesn't have a say in this. And a lot of time, a lot of people are going to comment on a text or on a video or something. And for some reason in that company, people are going to talk and talk about it and debate it. 
but you know leave people out of the process who are not actually qualified to comment on something or hold it back so these are my two thoughts on this yeah definitely don't be stuck in approval hell and, and i do have a whole chapter in the book on how editing for preference is the biggest waste of time because you know just because you like a word better doesn't mean anybody else will read the copy um, now if you have a, a performance culture reason to change a word and my favorite word and you uh, you tell me if this term gets thrown around in europe um, but in the u.s everybody talks about how do i convert unknown traffic to mm -hmm. known traffic have you you talk about that yeah, sure, yeah. right and um nobody like everybody uses the term known traffic but on in search nobody searches for known mm -hmm. traffic right so if i'm blogging about known traffic I shouldn't use that term or I should use it, but I shouldn't make that my key phrase, right? That I'm going after. So if somebody says, well, I like the term known, known traffic, I'm thinking, well, that's good. We should use it, but we also need to use the terms that people actually search mm -hmm. for according to Google and not just according to our brains, which don't know. Exactly. Um, I think, again, that's a question of perspective. Last time, um, someone was asking me, you know, how if 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 I could uh, uh, do a call with them and brief them in terms of, you know, um, how to think about SEO and and as you know, I'm not the biggest fan of SEO. I learned basically the 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 basics of the game. I know that you know keywords and search volumes, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm not interested in the in the specifics or in in huge SEO analyses. Um, but I do think you want to you wanna understand that way of thinking that if I'm going to Google something, it's because I have a task to accomplish. I'm going to try to get some information. And if I create content, I want to make my information, my piece of content as relevant as I can um, and make it visible to people who might find an answer. And I, I, I think actually for marketers, SEO shouldn't be much more complicated than this. Actually, I, I know it's a craft, you know, I don't want to offend anyone. I know there's it's very technical, it's way too technical for me to understand. But I think um, in terms of perspective, when you're thinking about content, I think it's interesting what you say. Yeah, Just worry about your content being found and what people are going to um, search for. But also, and that's a different perspective on things, you know, don't go into that extreme that you're only creating content on the basis of a keyword research, because that's, you know, um, right. the, the other extreme that wouldn't be good because you want to be, you would be very, very um, reactive in that approach. Um, my favorite example being um, the term content shock, where Mark Schaefer basically coined that term and he talked about content shock. Nobody was Googling for content shock. But then he talked about it and it was shared, you know, it resonated with a lot of people. A lot of people went like, oh, yeah, obviously it's going to be an issue at some point. And it became a term that people would search for. But he created that um, that search volume. So as a brand, as a content creator, you know, don't just be reactive and, and create content um, for topics people are searching for, but also do some agenda setting for um, some terms. So I always think, you know, one extreme is not good. The other extreme is not good either. So. Um, you know, be in that, uh, in the sweet spot. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Um, fantastic. Mel Rod, thanks for joining us from Germany. And uh, where can people connect with you on the web, Twitter, your, your website, whatever you want to share, LinkedIn, etc. Well, uh, thank you very much. First, Christoph, I hope that, uh, you know, my thoughts were clear. I tried. 
Um, people can connect basically anywhere they want. I have three Twitter accounts, one in English, one in German, one in French, or four French, four English, four German. I have a blog, I have a LinkedIn, I have even Xing, which you know, people would probably not know about it in the US. So if you want to connect, I would be very happy to just Google me and uh, you'll find different options. Fantastic. Thanks for sharing your insights and thanks everyone for listening. Until next time. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win.